Hello and welcome to Bondcast, a podcast series where we discuss our views on the latest themes and events shaping rates markets. I'm Imogen Bakra, European rate strategist, and I'm joined today by our global rate specialists, John Briggs and Giovanni Zani. So before getting into today's discussion, I just wanted to quickly remind you to hit the subscribe button so you can listen to our latest episodes as soon as they're available. All right, welcome back, Bondcasters. Um, a pretty quiet week, I would say, since we recorded last week. Um, it was obviously a shortened holiday week in the US and in the UK, um, and it feels like markets are waiting a little bit for the NFP print in the US on Friday, and of course, the ECB meeting next week, which will kick off the kind of three weeks of, of major global central bank meetings. Um, I think the most exciting thing for us in London is that the sun has come back. <laughs> um, but Let's get into to, uh, the ECB next week. So we've got Giovanni on today, who's our European economist. Um, so Gio, can you just tell us what we're kind of expecting in terms of our base case from next week's ECB meeting? Yeah, sure. So um, the economy outlook has brightened somewhat, uh, but the truth is that we're still in the midst of the pandemic. And so if you look at the level of activity uh, of employment, we're still... Uh, uh, below that, inflation is back to 2% in May, great uh, you know, achievement, but the fact is that a lot of that is uh, base effects, and so even more than in the US, by the way. So the situation still requires a lot of support from the ECB. So yes, what, what we expect next week, I would say that uh, the tone for the meeting was given by uh, President Lagarde uh, at the uh, Lisbon uh, event uh, late last month when she said, you know, it's too early to ask medium and long-term uh, question. So I think for me, the situation right now is um, that they are not going to contemplate a slowdown in the PEP uh, purchases space. Uh, the current pace of around 80 billion per month in addition to the 20 billion of APP is probably the right kind of neutral level that that would be the, the level that will bring you to the you know, expected end of the program in March 2022 with exhausting all of the uh, envelope. And if anything, I would say that uh, the ECB will attach to that some kind of uh, dovish bias. Um, you know, we had Schnabel saying a few things about the fact that the reason why the markets have reacted positively uh, in recent weeks is because they are expecting some, some kind of uh, attention to uh, rates, especially real rates from, from the ECB. Uh, and, uh, you know, so I guess they will reclaim flexibility. They will not say, you know, significantly higher. They would just say, you know, we'll do what it requires to keep financial condition favorable, but with a qualification that uh, they will particularly be aware of any uh, you know, reaction on, on, on rates. Um, and that's it, that was a, for the rest, frankly, I don't see any change for the TLTRO for tiering. Uh, that's, that's not the moment to do that. So you said that um, Lagarde said it was too early to think about kind of medium term and long term questions, but I am going to pitch a slightly longer term one to you. And, and that's because, you know, it's all very well thinking about 
you know what they're going to do for the next quarter or even in September but as we get towards the end of the year one question that we will be thinking about much more closely is what happens to um, kind of PEP and APP beyond March so you talked about the end date of PEP do you expect that to kind of end as planned and then APP pick back up or how are you thinking about the kind of transition of QE through that end date next year? Yes, I mean, we, we are, of course, starting to kind of formalize a little bit the numbers uh, to attach to that to that moment. I mean, we're starting, as I said, uh, at 80 billion plus 20 of APP. And, you know, the, the, the kind of central scenario I would have right now is to say that the PEP will be decreased by, let's say, 20 to 40 billion, depending on developments. And so uh, the, the total amount of QE in uh, in march 2022 when yes we think that pep will you know expire let's say uh the the and will be replaced by the uh, more flexible app uh, and this will amount to between 16 and 8 billion so reduction from the current level but not that much also because again if you listen to schnabel she said uh, this week or or late last week that um the point is that even when PEP uh, ends, we will still be quite far away, most likely, from the inflation target. And by the way, there is also the um, strategy review that will come in between this period, between now and March 2022, and that will uh, clearly represent a structural break. So I think that that's, that's quite relevant. So my point is that you will still have a lot of QE in the system, even after uh, PEP, it will not just end abruptly and then we'll have just 20 billion of, of QE. And, and by the way, we also think that the, the kind of continuation of this, of this QE will be long lasting. Uh, we, we, we put out a note uh, a few days ago uh, and the, the central scenario for us is that basically you have a, a first rate hike around 2025. So it means that between the kind of 60 to 80 billion of March 2022 till early 2025, you will have this decrease to zero of QE. Uh, and so it will take almost two years to, to go down to zero. I just want to pick up quickly whilst we have you here as our kind of ECB specialist on what you mentioned about the um, strategic review, because we know that that's kind of ongoing. Um, coming up soon in the autumn, they've said, we think perhaps September. So you think that that is going to be a structural break and, and be quite important, I guess, for the direction of future policy? Yes, and actually, again, I'll go back to this speech from Schnabel that I think is quite interesting. She said, um, even after PEP, we will, we will still be far away from our target of uh, close, but below 2%. But the point is that the target will change. <laughs> well, the target will change in the meantime, and it will be probably more dovish in a sense in terms of reaction function of the ECB. And we had another important speech, I think, um, last week from uh, uh, Villeroy, from the uh, central banker, French uh, uh, central banker. And you know, it just gave a lot of uh, indication of how he see things, probably it's more dovish than the exact average of the of the of the overall uh, council but he said well on the target you know a simple target two percent which is probably consensus i would say the symmetry of the concept so 
uh, it should be even clearer that the ECB is ready to accept or even welcome uh, a period of higher inflation above 2% after, especially after what we've seen, after the mistakes of the past in terms of not reaching the target and of the forecast of always expecting higher inflation that didn't materialize. So I think that that's an important point. We, we probably will not get to the, the fate uh, uh, version of that of the of the US, but uh, but it will be definitely more symmetric. And then uh, you mentioned adapting QE towards something that is more like the PEP. So it's a little bit, as I was saying before, this idea that even after PEP is not at this is the end. No, we'll have something that probably will be very similar and will continue. Um, and then there are other points. I mean, for example, on forward guidance, this, this idea, and I think that's also related to faith, this idea that you cannot just count on uh, uh, expectation of inflation, but you will have to uh, be more on actual inflation rates to really raise rates. And that's the idea that means that we have this uh, central scenario of uh, rates rising in 2025 because that's when we expect to see inflation at two percent in a persistent consistent manner robust manner and with the indication that it might go higher in the following years and then finally making the you know the tltro and and the tiering uh, components much more structural again so uh again with this in mind the march 2022 is not uh, a cliff it's not the end of the story. Uh, and as I said, we, we, we continue basically to see a progressive tapering slowly, uh, tapering of, of QE by, until 2024 and even early 2025. I guess that from a market's perspective, that really just reinforces what, what Giles and I spoke about on this podcast last week around the market pricing in too much from the ECB over the near term and, and the kind of rate hike profile that, that the market is looking for at the moment isn't consistent with what we're expecting in terms of this very gradual rundown of, of QE over the next kind of three to four years. Okay, so switching over to the US then, because I guess that's one of the central banks where we've actually seen um, albeit a very dovish institution like the ECB, but they've slowly started to creep in a in a much, well, slightly more hawkish direction. We spoke about Clarida last week and we've had more Fed speakers this week kind of reinforce that sort of nuanced shift to, towards a more hawkish direction. Is that right, John? Yeah, and we've been, you know, as, as bondcasters know, we've been kind of flagging this subtle shift over a while. And, and you know, on a global standpoint, if you look at, for example, you know, the global central banks, especially in the Anglo economies, they're all subtly, except for probably the RBA, you know, slowly shifting to a more hawkish direction. And you can say it's going to take a long time. And yeah, we're talking about tapering, talking about talking about tapering, which is going to maybe get announced September and start next year and take six, nine months. But the point is that when you have a very elongated cycle, there's not going to be a step reaction function for many of these central banks. All of a sudden, they're not going to come out and surprise markets. So even subtle shifts are, you know, important in signaling mechanisms. I mean, for example, it's, yeah, it's only the RBNZ, but if you look at their signaling that they might hike rates sometime in 2022, the currency rallied by more than 1% against the dollar, because again, markets need to process this information early because, you know, these subtle shifts take a long time to occur. Um, you know, you could even look at the 
Bank of England last week when Bliga was was a little bit more hawkish. I mean, the speech itself, Ross Walker, our economist, felt it was more balanced. But, you know, again, the fact is that when he was asked about bond markets sending warning signs, is it or is it, you know, reflecting an improved outlook, he would say he said it's almost entirely the latter. So, you know, allowing some of this inflate, some of these rate rises, you know, to some degree, they're not going to allow like Q1, I think, you know, to go to repeat itself from these levels. But, you know, the, the rhetoric shifting, the, the idea that yields are higher yields, if we're looking for across these two currencies are reflecting, you know, underlying fundamentals and better growth outlook and better growth outcomes. Um, and then more specifically for the U.S., which is that, you know, that we flagged Clarido while he spoke again last week about balanced risk. Fed Governor Quarles, who's the um, vice chair for supervision, doesn't really give that many economic and uh, <clears throat> inflation outlooks. And even he said that, you know, my optimistic outlook for growth and employment places me among those who see the risk of inflation over the medium term is weighted to the upside. Brainerd, probably the biggest of, again, these are really subtle, small changes, but she talked a little bit about balanced risks this week. So this ongoing shift towards, it's just kind of like a little less dovish or from the Fed's perspective saying, going from a time when the, all they cared about was unemployment and, and broadening the, the, the progress to all sorts of demographics to now have actually talking about the inflation side in order to keep their credibility on that front as they move towards, um, as they move towards tapering and they, as they move towards higher prints. I mean, Geo said that we know with the ECB under fate, you know, is it going to look like outcomes versus just forecasts? The Fed continues to talk about outcomes. Unfortunately, maybe for them, they might be in a situation where if they push that outcome-based meth methodology too hard, I mean, we have into the fourth quarter and the first quarter of next year, core CPI and core PC inflation prints over 3%, 3.5%. So they got to be careful kind of like getting what they wish for, because if they get too much of that too soon, then the market might challenge it. But I think this rhetoric also is a, a, a tool for them to say, look, we know we want a little bit of inflation. If we get it, that's fine. We know how to respond. We still are paying attention to our inflation mandate. But we are going to let it run hot still. So trying to find thread that needle between, you know, keeping credibility on, you know, not letting inflation let loose with trying to get higher inflation outcomes. So they almost have to be hawkish in order to get their flexible average inflation charting to succeed. And I shouldn't say hawkish. They have to flag inflation risks and that they're watchful of them and they're keeping an eye on them. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, over the medium term here, as we head into the summer and as this rhetoric's changing, you know, we think that creates a little bit of an asymmetric risk to the upside because we do see higher inflation prints, whether you want to argue it's transitory or supply chain issues or not, you know, we do see them in the next few months. So we need to, you know, the Fed is going to need to keep talking in that manner. So coming back to the little bit more near term rather than looking over the medium term, I think one thing that everybody in the market is very focused on, and I'm sure Fed officials will be watching very closely as well, is of course the NFP print on Friday. Um, I should just clarify, we're recording this on Wednesday. <laughs> you might be listening uh, after Friday, so you might have the luxury of already knowing the print, but we obviously don't. <laughs> um, so could you just kind of talk us through what we're expecting there and, and what that might mean in terms of uh, the policy reaction for the Fed, you know, what kind of a number might change the rhetoric that we've been seeing lately, or even what kind of a number might just really justify this slightly hawkish shift that, that we've been seeing? Right, you're really trapping me because you're getting me to talk about a payroll print that the listeners are going to have, and I don't. Um, <laughs> <All right. laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so, no, I think that, I mean, our view, and 
listeners will be able to tell if I'm right or wrong right here, but is that, that the number creates a little bit of, again, asymmetric risk to upside in yields. Again, not massive, but if it's another small number or lower than consensus, I think the market's prepared now to um, view it as labor market supply issues. It's very much, a, you know, kind of giving the labor market a pass because this could last a few months. If it's about childcare, well, schools and camps aren't fully up, but schools are going to reopen in September. So that might be an issue. Fears of COVID, you know, we still see even in places where mask mandates have been dropped, you know, mixed results. There's still some anxiety out there. There's still, you know, vulnerable populations. So um, worries about, you know, um, COVID still remain. And, you know, the unemployment benefits are, are providing motivation. I mean, I like to think of it as if consider you're, you know, a restaurant worker who needs to deal with childcare, but is also getting extended unemployment benefits. Do you want to go back, be basically on the front line for minimum wage or less plus tips? It's a, that's a hard call to make. So I think these things could last a while. Um, so if it's weak, you can, can excuse it out. If it is really strong, you can say, oh, wow, here we go again. And the bigger thing, I think, is that uh, a week or two from, uh, you know, sorry, next week is you get CPI report. So that CPI report after the last strong number, I think, is going to create, you know, some angst. I don't know what the number is going to be. You know, like I said, we have firmer prints, but there's so much chop in the data, I think, to you know have any confidence in forecasting things is really difficult, right, or stretch right now, I should say. Um, but if you have a decent employment report, the market could see some pressure into the CPI on fear, and then we'll see what it is. And then you have the Fed after that. So there are combinations of data, which where it could just be completely choppy and noisy. Um, and that's fine. We trade sideways. I have a hard time coming up with a lot of outcomes that have yields at these levels fall that we take more Fed out. But if you get a combination of strong prints, there could be some worries about signaling at the June meeting, especially as it's a dot meeting, it's a forecast meeting, and the Fed might need to raise some of their forecasts. And given the inflation comments we've gotten, you know, from governors, you know, maybe they start to take those inflation forecasts up a little bit too. So it feels like it could be a little bit of a hawkish month. It might not, but the bias balance of risks point towards that direction in my mind rather than the other one. So very good. Well, the balance of risks and I guess point in favor of our um, short five-year uh, treasuries call. So I guess just to I can imagine that you're sticking with that call for now then. Yeah. And, you know, we recognize that it could be something that takes a little time to evolve, you know, um, leverage investors. It, it, is, it is a negative carry thing. So it has to be, you know, um, tricky to time. So, you know, we think this is a window where it's worth you know, trying to do that carry given everything I went went through, but recognizing that, you know, if you get a data set, it's not worth it. But, you know, from a real money perspective, trying to just balance your portfolios where this is the part of the curve, we're in that part of the cycle, you know, which you should try to avoid. And, you know, it makes me a little bit more comfortable, you know, in flatteners like five cents, five thirties, because the Fed is reaffirming their credibility on the inflation side. If we were having these in higher inflation prints and they were just not talking about it, only talking about unemployment, and that's fine. We want run, a, we want huge inflation. We want, you know, that would have me a little bit more worried about one of those reflation type trades, bear steepeners like we had in the first quarter. Um, so the rhetoric's important. It also makes me feel like that we are going to be in that traditional type of cycle where you bear steepen first on expectations of higher growth and inflation, and as those get validated, you know, the pressure moves in the curve as we start to price in more hikes. Not, I don't, I'm not crazy bearish. I don't think Fiverr is going one and a half percent, you know, anytime soon. They're at 80 basis points now, but I think that's where the pressure will come along the curve. And so portfolios should just be cognizant of that. Okay. 
That makes sense. Well, thank you both for joining me this week. I'm sure this kind of topic of central banks is something that we will be returning to a lot over the next few weeks, because like I said, we're now entering that kind of three week cycle of, of the ECB, the Fed uh, and the Bank of England. So we will touch base again next week after the ECB. Um, and just a reminder to everyone listening that if you liked today's episode, please hit the like button to show your appreciation and click subscribe so you can listen to our latest episodes as soon as they're available. Thanks again. See you next week.